I'm not all right? What if you're not all right? You may not know this, but back in November of 2016, I was actually in a pretty good time of life, kind of on the outside looking in. My wife and I had just found out that we were about to have our first baby girl. We had had two boys, and we were so excited to think about having a girl in the house. And things just seemed to be going really well for my family here at the church. But I can remember sitting in my children's playroom, and I was looking out the window, and I was just sitting there. There wasn't much to do. I think it was like a Friday, and I could see some light coming through. And I started to feel thoughts that I had never, ever felt before. I'd slowed down long enough for some emotions to bubble up, some things in my heart. I didn't quite know were there. And it was at that very moment I became extremely depressed, and I wanted everything to end. And I never felt like that before. It scared me to death, and I couldn't shake it. Uh, I tried for days to kind of positively think myself out of it, to remind myself of how good things were, uh, to say, no, you shouldn't feel this way. But I couldn't shake it. I just wanted everything to end. I wasn't at the step yet of wanting to end it all myself, but I was there. I was depressed. And so... I thought, all right, well, Jeremy, you're just a positive guy. You know, you've always kind of, you know, grown up positive. Everybody knows you as a positive guy. You know, you're the all right guy. All right. So um, I thought, you know what? It's got to be something medical. All right. It's got to be something medical. So I went to the doctor. I was like, all right, doc, here's what's going on. He was concerned. So he's like, let's run some tests. Let's find out what's wrong. All right. So ran all the tests, came back in, sat down with him. And he said, Jeremy, I got to tell you, you're 100% fine. Walking out of that doctor's office I was deflated but I realized something that while a lot of what we struggle with today anxieties fear mental health issues which is on the rise while a lot of it's natural medical there's very much a spiritual component to it and I knew at the moment this had something to do with my heart you know they say right now with anxiety depression everything on the rise that one in every five Americans struggle with mental health One of the reasons I know it's spiritual, too, is because with pastors, it's actually one in every four. And not that our job is extremely difficult. That's actually part of the reason I got in the ministry, all right? So I can remember um, asking at college, I was like, so if I get in the ministry, how many masks do I have to take? They're like, one. How many sciences? One. I was like, sign me up. The Lord is calling me to do this, all right? But there's definitely a physical, or I mean, an emotional, mental, and spiritual just drain that happens And around here, usually in about November, December, our calendars start to ease. Everybody's kind of saved up their vacation days, so people start taking time off. It was like I had slowed down long enough to stop and just think and to let things just bubble up from below the surface. What I realized through this whole journey was I wasn't going to just sit there and just live through it. I was going to figure out what was wrong. So my wife... In her wisdom, she went out and got me some books, which is crazy because I really hate reading. I don't read, I've never hardly finished a book in my entire life except for the scriptures, all right? And, and I, but I'm just not a reader. And she got me a book on uh, a lot of books that had to deal with my heart. And what I realized is that deep down in my heart, there were things that I was struggling with that people didn't even know were there anxiety, depression, worry, just being isolated, burst of anger, you know, things that. When what I would do is when I'd have an emotion like that, when I'd get angry or when I'd get jealous or when I'd talk about somebody, I'd always make it an external focus. Okay, well, they did this to me. My children caused me to get this angry. You know, my, my, my wife got me this way. But 
really, when we react to things, there's no one to blame but us, right? And a lot of times what happens is it's something, something deep, deep down inside. It was a very painful process. It's one I'm still going through. And I want to share it with you today because I know there's many of you in here struggling with it. I know we mentioned one in five, but actually in the first service, Pastor Adam said, well, who in here struggled with anxiety before? And I would say pretty much half or more of the hands went up. I mean, I think a lot of us have been there. And if you're not going through it, then you may have a loved one who's going through it. And it affects so many people around you. And it's something that has to be dealt with. And it's something that a lot of times we remain quiet about. One of the reasons I think, you know, when I was growing up as a Christian, you, you just kind of suppressed emotions like, you know, I'm feeling anxious. Well, God said don't be anxious. Okay, I'll take that one down. You know, I'm, getting, you know I'm, I'm angry. Well, God said don't be angry. Okay, I'll pass that down. It was never like, why do you feel this way? It was just like, you just don't feel this way. But emotions are a gauge of what's going on in the heart. Now, an emotion may not be true. You know, it may not be true that this person is, you know, causing me to be angry. It may not be true that this worry is real. But the emotion is very real. And it's very revealing as to what's going on inside. I want to ask you a question from Psalms 139, 23, 24. It asks us to search, ask God to search our hearts. Have you ever done that before, taken a spiritual inventory of your heart? In fact, in this passage it reads, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. God wants to take us on that journey of the way of everlasting. He wants us to make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of many others. But it's really hard to do when you've got a lot of baggage that you're toting on that journey. And that's why it's something that we need to deal with. You know, the, the true thing is, Jesus never really promised that life was going to be easy. In fact, he said the opposite. In John 16, he tells his disciples before he, before he goes to the cross, in this world, you will have trouble. That's the promise. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. The disciples were about to face many troubles, many things that would make one to be, to be anxious or stressed. And maybe it's just a little easy to say, okay, well, just take heart. It's going to be okay. I've overcome the world. And maybe it was something easier said than done. So what I want to do today is to help you walk through that. What I've been on my journey the past three years, certainly not arrived. But I kind of want to take a moment just to expose what the Lord did in and through me. Because I know there's many of you probably sitting there today hurting. And if your anxiety, your depression, your worries, anything like mine, it can be very, very crippling. To the point that you feel such in a dark place, in a dark hole, that you don't know how to get out. And it happens at the strangest times. I can remember we were on a golf retreat with a bunch of guys here at the church. And it was the night, everybody was kind of hanging out that night in each other's room, watching a ball game, talking. And I got in my room, and it hit me, the anxiety. Uh, maybe this was more of a social anxiety. I, uh, sometimes if I get into a conversation, I want it to end real quick because I'm worried about what I'm going to say next or what's going to happen um, you know, even now, my wife told me this is the first, she told me in between sermons this morning, this is the first time she's ever noticed it. I don't make eye contact with anybody when I'm up here. This is going to distract you the whole time now. All right. So I, I don't because it, this is this anxiety that happens with that. I struggle with, with things like that. But I can remember being in that room at that golf retreat and I wanted to go hang out with everybody so bad, but I couldn't do it. I locked the door to my room and I just sat there just crippled by fear and anxiety. 
couldn't tell anybody that. You don't say that on a men's golf retreat, right? You know, like, I'm just going to sit in my fear, guys. You know, like, I was there, and it was very real, but I, and I didn't know how to deal with it other than just to isolate myself and just remain in it and not deal with it. But I really believe God wants us to deal with it, and I believe he has an answer. I'm not saying it's going to wipe away every fear, every worry that you have, but I do believe there is an answer. And if God is in control, and he's big enough, and he is, then he can get us through this, and he can help us with this. So turn in your Bibles, if you don't mind, to Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 8. I'm going to kind of hang in this passage and show you a lot of Scripture today that just really point to how God wants us to handle fear, anxiety, worry. Let's read together, Philippians 4, starting in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's start right there at the beginning of Philippians 4, 6, the first part. Do not be anxious about anything. I mean, isn't it good to know just right off the bat that God doesn't call us to be anxious? Like, hey, you need to worry about this. You need to be concerned about this. I mean, we know from 2 Timothy 1.7 that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, right? That doesn't come, our fear doesn't come from God. Well, anxiety doesn't come from God. Depression doesn't come from God. Worry doesn't come from God. God doesn't cause these things. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. He knows very much what it's like, as we'll discuss later. Jesus, you know, went through some very anxious moments. But we'll see what he did to take care of it. But we read from Jesus in Matthew 6, 25, not to worry. In fact, he says, I, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? So what do you do? I mean, like, if it's just that easy, hey, don't worry about it. Hey, don't be anxious. I mean, I hear you, God. I, I want to understand. I don't want to have these feelings. I don't know if anybody wants to be crippled by anxiety, um, by fear, to be lost in that pit of depression. I don't think anybody wants to be there. So what do we do? Well, Paul says that in the next part of Philippians 4, 6, he says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, which I'll cover that thanksgiving part later, present your request to God. So when we are struggling, we are to take our requests, we are to take our complaints straight to the king. To the creator. That's what he wants us to do. Now, all right, you've been at church a lot. You probably hear this all the time. I think I say the same message every week with the kids. Read your Bible, pray, act right, right? It's the same thing. We don't really toss up any new stuff here at church, all right? It's always the same thing, all right? And you're probably sitting there thinking, okay, prayer, I hear this all the time. Well, let me ask you a question. Is what you're doing right now working? Right? Like the addiction to pornography, is that working? Or the alcohol abuse, or the constant gossip, you know, or the negativity that you have to stir amongst your friends, you know, in order to feel better about yourself. Is that working, right? Or maybe the fits of anger, or what you, other people don't see, but you let out when you get home. Is that working? Or the prescription drug overuse that you're struggling with, or maybe the recreational drug use that you're struggling with. Is that working for you? You know, I would say don't knock it till you try it. And I really, really believe that there's not many of us trying it. You know, one of the crazy things is the world is starting to pick up 
on a lot of the things that the Bible has taught for years. I can remember watching CNN several years ago, and they had a thing on there about 12 steps to forgiveness. They had just discovered. I'm like, we've been doing this for thousands of years, all right, you know? And, um, and recently I was in Barnes & Nobles. They have a whole book section, self-help, anxiety, depression, things like that. Pop open a book, look through the chapter. What do they tell you to do? Meditate. Where do you think that comes from, right? I mean, these ancient things, they date back for years. I mean, prayer and meditation are very much synonymous, right? Like just being still, being quiet, talking to God. But I would say many of us don't do that. But God wants us to be still. You know, in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus is asleep on the boat and his disciples are panicking because there is a storm coming and there's waves tossing and crashing and, and they wake up Jesus and, you know, Jesus just stands up and, and what does he do? Deliver a great sermon or, or you know, or I mean, you know, tell the waves, you better get down. He just says, no, quiet, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves calm down. We're in a storm every day. We're fighting through a storm battle every day. And what God wants us to do first and foremost is to be still. Psalms 46.10, we read, be still and know that I am God. Have you ever really tried to be still? Like, I, it can be really difficult. If you're like me, and everybody's just kind of around, sitting around still for about 30 seconds, and I've seen this, and we have a little bit of a lull in our staff meetings on Mondays. We'll do prayer time, and then we wait for everybody. Nobody can just sit there. You know what everybody does? Pops out their phone, right? Like, we can't be still for more than, for more than 30 seconds. Like, we're just not used to it anymore in this society. Like, there's no such thing as being still. And I don't know if you're anything like me. I don't like being still. I mean, one of the reasons I really love kids' ministry is I love the noise. Other people are driven crazy by it. But I love the noise. Like, if Amber's not there or, the, you know, she happens to be on a retreat or something, I'll sleep with the TV on all night. I just don't like quiet, right? I mean, but to be still, I mean, that's so, that's so tough. The other, the other thing that I struggle with, too, being still is, Sometimes if I get quiet and still, I think I'm not doing anything, right? And one of the other ways that we deal with anxiety and hurt is we just keep ourselves busy. Run, 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 go, 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 sign up for everything we can. We always got to make progress. We always got to climb the ladder. We always got to be doing something because if I'm not, somebody else is going to get ahead or I'm going to get behind. And so I know I feel guilty when I just sit down and be still because I'm like, well, I could be doing something right now other than being still. But God wants us to be still because it's in that stillness when he speaks to us. Now, you may say, okay, well, I really don't have time to do this be still or to do this prayer thing every day. For like, how long are you talking? Two minutes, three minutes? Because if this gets longer than five, it's going to be a problem, all right? Or if you're like me, it can be hard to be still at home. Um, no matter what time I wake up, my kids always wake me up because they wake up 15 to 30 minutes before I'm supposed to wake up every day. If I set my alarm at 5, they would be up at 4.30. Like, I, don't, I cannot wake up early uh, apart from my kids. They just know. They have a clock, and they read my mind somehow, and they know what time to get up. But I know most of us, we don't go very long without bathing or without brushing our teeth or doing things like that. We know that those are things that we need. I'm going to challenge you today to know that if you're not still every day, if you're not talking to God every day, you're going to find yourself in a really, really rough place if you're not already there. You know, one of the other things I would say, too, is if you say, I don't have time to spend time with God or I, I can't pray every day, that's one of the most prideful things you can ever do. And that says a lot about your heart. Because what you're really saying is, God, I don't need you. I don't need you today. Now, I'll need you, God, when things get really, really rough and I'm at the end of myself and I don't know what to do. But I don't need you right now. I don't need you in the little things. I've got the little things, God. You know, I love what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 
5, 6 through 7. In verse 7, he talks about casting your, your, your anxiety on him, just like Paul talks about. But before that, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And then he says, Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Being still and being quiet is a very humbling experience. A very humbling experience. Now, here's what I can promise you this week. Just like Jesus promised his disciples, I can promise you this week, you will have trouble. Last week, after I left church and, uh, you know, got to go to the bookstore, when I got up on Monday, I didn't expect what would come this week. Wednesday was one of those days, all right? Woke up, for some reason, my middle child, God bless his little heart, decided that he wanted to just be totally against everything we want him to do first thing in the morning, all right? And we're just already in disciplining, and, and we're all together in my truck because um, my car's in, the van's in the shop. And the kids are all screaming, and yelling, we're trying to get them to be quiet, be quiet, you know. And we finally get them on the bus. We finally kind of have a chance to breathe. My wife pulls me up to drop me off at the office here. Right before I get out of the car, it's like, hold on, the phone's ringing. It's the car place. $2,600 to repair the van, all right? So, I mean, you can imagine the type of stress and anxiety you start to feel, all right? So, you know, I'm like, all right, it's okay, God, you're in control of this, you're in control of this. So I was going to go back to my office and just start getting to work. I had this sermon to prepare for today, you know, and, and also there's the kids and everything else to do. So I'm just, you know, all of a sudden thinking this, but God reminded me, no, 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 what are you preaching on this week? <laughs> Be still. And one thing I do at work, Adam, don't tell the other guys this, um, I get underneath my desk. And it sounds crazy, I know, but it's the only place I can find that's completely still and quiet. And I'll close the door, and they don't even think I'm in there. Not that they care where I'm at anyway. But I just go in there, and I get underneath my desk. And I don't, I used to just rattle off and say things to God, which he wants you to, all right? But sometimes I just sit there, and I just don't say a word. And I just let things start coming up, and then I just tell it to God. I mean, I just vomit it out there. Like, this is, this is what's bothering me. This person's driving me crazy, you know, Adam's always singing in his office, all right, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, just everything, cast all your anxieties to him, put all your cares on him, every little thing he wants to know, even today I was praying, because I'm, I'm a Notre Dame fan, so I knew when I came in here, the grief I was going to receive, and I was like, God, help me to love these unlovable people, all right, because <laughs> he wants us to bring everything to him. In Proverbs 16, 18, we read, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. If you were to sit here right now and just say, you know, I can't believe Pastor Jeremy's spilling all this out. What a wimp. Or, or, you know, why would anybody talk about these kind of things? You know, just be strong. Fight through it. This is just life. You know, get over it. Or maybe if you think, you know, I don't have time for prayer. I don't, you know, I can't deal with this kind of stuff. Or I don't have the schedule you have, you know. Just remember, you might be next. You know, we all struggle with things. We all get in places. I don't want to go through anxiety. I didn't want to sit there and be depressed. That wasn't fun for me. It wasn't something I planned to do. But I was one of those people who thought, I'll never go there. How could people ever get to the point where they think about ending everything? Like, I could, that could never be me. And then it was me because I was prideful. And pride comes before the fall. Write this down. I, I saw this on Twitter the other day. Time with God is never time wasted. Let me say that again. Time with God is never time wasted. It's always beneficial. It's always 
helpful. In fact, in that passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus was talking about, don't worry about this, don't worry about that, he comes to this point at Matthew 6.33 where he says, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That the first thing you do is reach up before you move out. Now, when I was in high school, we used to go around on these choir trips, you know, and one of the the kids in our group, his name is Brandon, he's a minister as well, he came up with this thing, I use it now with our kids, and I absolutely love it, um, it's just an easy way to remember what to do every day, it's called PB&J, peanut butter and jelly, prayer, Bible, and Jesus. So every day, it's a daily habit to pray, to cast all my anxieties on him, to talk to him, to just be still, to just be quiet, and then to get into his word, which I'll explain in a little bit why that is so, so crucial. And then to live in the peace of Jesus all day long. And sometimes it takes more than once a day. There was a time recently I, tried, I decided to do something I'd never done before. I was upstairs putting the kids to sleep and I felt those feelings. And if you struggle with anxiety, you know. It just comes on you and it's like a weight. And I could feel it coming on, kind of like the start to a headache. So I just walked out of the room. I walked into our upstairs bathroom and I just said, God, I, I, I'm going through it. I don't know what to do. I don't want to feel this way. And man, I can tell you how great it was just to be able to talk to him right then and just cast my care on him. Not to try to hold it, not to try to work through it myself, but to just give it over to him. And I felt that peace. Now, I'm not saying it's always going to happen like that. For me, it did that time. But just to know that I can go to the king and say, here's where I'm at. In Philippians 4, 7, as we continue on, it says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Nobody, and I mean nobody, can understand this kind of peace except for those who belong to Jesus. There is a peace knowing that no matter what, it's going to be okay. There is a hope knowing that there is a better tomorrow, if not on this side of life, but on the next. There is a peace of knowing that the one who made the entire universe He's got the whole world under control, and there is no problem too, too big for him to handle. If he can raise people from the dead, if he can make blind men see, if he can make a lame man walk, then he can cure anything that's down deep in my heart. But I've got to be willing to cry out to him. Just like the blind men who sat on the road and yelled out for Jesus, I've got to be able to cry out to him. In fact, he promises this peace. In John 14, 27, he tells the disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave this earth, but I'm going to send somebody to give you peace. And that somebody is God. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us daily. Now it's up to you every day what you're going to do with the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. The Bible mentions you can quench the Holy Spirit in your life. You could say, I don't need him today. And then instantly you've quenched him. You don't need it. Your cup is empty. You're going through the whole day on your own. But Paul actually mentions going to the point of uh, being inebriated by the Holy Spirit. By being so filled up that your cup is so full that it's hard for anything else to drain it. But it's a daily thing because you will drain. You will run out of energy on your own. You know, not only do we have God's peace, but we also have to have God's truth in our life to be able to fight this battle. 
Paul continues on in Philippians 4, 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I get that from reading the Word of God. I get that from spending time with God. You know, one, things I, one of the things I love about the Word, you know, after I pray and I dig into the Bible, sometimes I don't understand everything that's in it. All right, sometimes I have to look up things. Some passages mean more than other passages. There are passages I've read before, and I'll read them again, and they are fresh and anew, and it hits me in a way that I never thought about. But what I love is just how the Word of God just peels back and just opens up your heart to see things that you didn't even know were there. You know, when I was going through that in 2016, I never thought that I was a greedy person. I never thought that I was a mean-spirited person. Uh, I never thought any of those things. But as I started peeling back my heart, I thought, wow. There's some stuff in there I didn't even know was there. Well, you know, why, did I, why do I want that other person to fail? Why do I talk about that other person behind their back? Why, why do I get angry sometimes? Why do I unleash it on my, my loved ones and my family, those who are close to me? Because there's these things down here. But listen to Philippians, or Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And you just dig down deep in there when you get into God's Word and it just you know, brings out all the stuff that you didn't know you were hiding down deep. But God knows. He sees it there. He knows it's there. And He wants to extract it out of you. And then He wants that Word of God just to protect you. In fact, one of the verses I love, it's kind of a life verse for me, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I have to put on that protection every day. I have to seek first His kingdom. Then I, above all everything else, above anything I do, before I step out to be a husband, before I step out to be a father, before I step out to be a pastor, a neighbor, a friend, whoever, above all that, I've got to guard my heart. And make sure that my heart's in the right place, that it is protected and taken care of. That I've already brought it before God and opened it up and said, here, do what you can. Do surgery on it. Get me in the right place before I interact with anybody else today, God. Because God can take it. He can handle me in a bad mood. He can handle my complaints. But for others, it might be very draining. But he can handle it. So I want to review with you. I want to give you kind of what I say are seven steps to combating or fighting anxiety. These are things that have helped me. I pray they're helpful for you. First thing I want you to do, number one, realize that you lack power on your own. As I was writing these down, I got to thinking, I was like, man, a lot of this sounds like things that um, addicts work through. And so I went back and looked through the 12 steps, very similar, right? Like, you know, a lot of anxiety, depression things leads to addictions. And I'm not too prideful to think I'm anywhere away from that or haven't struggled with things like that. There's many in this room who have. I've had so many people who have reached out to me and just said, you know, I'm at the end, I'm struggling. And to watch them get help and to watch them take these steps is truly amazing. But we have to realize, number one, first and foremost, that we don't have the power. We can't do this. Do not get up tomorrow morning and think you're going to be fine. Be ready for trouble and be ready to go ahead and release it to God and say, okay, God, you're in control, not me. I realize that I lack the power. I can't do this on my own. 
And the second thing I do is when I go to God and I sit there and I be still and I realize he's in control and I'm not in control, and then I cast all, capital A-L-L, all my cares on him, everything on him. Little, big, it doesn't matter. Everything goes to God. I tell him everything. I have to. And then I ask him to dig out things in me that I'm not saying, that I don't even know are there. I've got to get them out. Even if it just sounds ugly and gross, I still tell God. You know, you can't hide from God. He knows it all anyway. You might as well be honest with him and say, I can't stay on this person. They drive me crazy. I, I, I don't want to be here. I don't like this. I don't. Just tell him. He knows it. And it feels so good to release it and to give it over to the king who cares about you and who loves you. And then number three, every day we have to be quiet and be still daily as much as possible if you can. All right, just work it out. Find a way to do it. Above all else, you need to do this. Seek this first. You've got to find a way to do this. If it means sitting down with your spouse and saying, look, nighttime, whatever, I need some time when I can be still and quiet. I just need a few minutes where I can just breathe and just talk to God. You know, sometimes when I come home from work, Amber will immediately get in the car and go and get stuff at Walmart in the store we don't need. I'm like, why is she always there? And then I've spent a whole day with the kids, and I'm like, I want to go to Walmart. All right? So, I mean, like, I understand it. All right? We all need those breaks from things. We all need to step away and have a break. We all need to be still and be quiet. I love this saying right here. Um, my wife was sharing me this last night. I, I want you guys to write it down, too. She, was, she heard a, a speaker, an author named Carlos Whitaker. His father told him this. He said, glance at life, gaze at God. I just love that. You know, we glance at life. Here's what life is going to offer. It's going to be trouble this week. But God, I'm going to be still and I'm just going to gaze at you because you're so much bigger than all of that. Number four, be grateful. You know, we mentioned this earlier. It was in Philippians 4, 6 that when we present our request, we have to do it with thanksgiving, right? You know, it says a lot when you can sit there and pour out your heart to God and tell him what you're struggling with and say, God, I just want you to know, thank you. Because in perspective, it's not as bad as I think. And, and, and you've already conquered so much. You've already won this battle for me, Jesus. And if the only thing I have to be thankful for, I mean, I'm thankful for my family and my friends and, and this church and this life and everything I have. But if the only thing I had to be thankful for was you, Jesus, and eternal life in heaven, then I am thankful. And I am a thankful person. And that gratitude will immediately change my attitude and the way I live that day. Number five, I've got to let the scriptures change the way I think. God is not only after your heart, he's after your mind. They're so closely tied. We know from Romans 12 that he wants to literally metamorphosize us, like he wants to transform us. He, he wants to change the way that we think. And you can only do that by spending time in God's word every day. Because when you read the Bible, it's so different than the way that we think, right? It's so different. You know, somebody says something bad to you or, you know, you want to say something bad back or somebody hits you, you would want to push them back. But the Bible tells you to do like the opposite. It's like somebody's my enemy. Okay, well, you need to love on and pray for them. Why would I get anywhere near these people? Like, but that's what the kind of things the Bible tells us to do. Because God wants to literally change the way that we think. So we've got to be open to his word every day. Number six in review, guard your heart and set boundaries. Your heart is the wellspring of life. You've got to set some boundaries. You need to be so careful what you put in, what you consume, but you also need to be really careful what you say yes to. You don't have to say yes to everything. 
Not every good thing is a God thing for your life, all right? There's a lot of good things out there, but they're not for you. It's okay. If somebody else runs with it, great. Let them have it. You don't have to sign up your kids for everything. They're going to survive and be okay, all right? We don't always have to be running and doing something all the time. We need to set boundaries for our lives. We need to stop and say, maybe I can't do something every night of the week. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't take this promotion and the extra money. I know it sounds good. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I just need to set some boundaries and say I'm not going to go there. You know, maybe I shouldn't work on this day. Maybe I should actually take my weekend. Maybe I should use all my vacation days. Maybe I should take some time off. Maybe I don't read this text right away. Or maybe I don't see this email right away. Maybe I set some boundaries and say, no, it's not good for my heart right now. Number seven, I haven't mentioned this yet. And I want you to do this if you have this chance. But number seven, I want you to practice being vulnerable. Practice vulnerability. This is the hardest one. All right? You know, I feel like I've been a little bit vulnerable today. The first service, some lady's like, when you started unbuttoning your shirt, I was like, what is he doing? Um... <laughs> But, you know, it's so good to just be open and honest and to put your heart out there. Um, I know me and Adam have had a chance to do that a lot, especially earlier in this year. It's good to have friends. You know, sometimes it's hard for me. Sometimes when I'm in the car, I want to call somebody so bad. It used to be my dad. He passed away last summer, and I don't really have anybody to call sometimes. You don't want to bug the guys at work because they've already seen me all day, and I'm driving crazy. Um, but, you know, it's good when you can. Let me just go and tell you something. You're going to put your heart out there, and some people are going to trample on it. It just is what it is. You are. You're going to share something with somebody, and they're just going to be like, well, and they won't call or check on you, and you'll be like, what's up with that? You know, I thought they were supposed to be my friend. It's going to happen. But it's better to go ahead and do it. It's better to do it, because if you don't, you're going to lock your heart so far away and so deep, it's going to get so hard that nobody will be able to penetrate it. And you will isolate and isolate and isolate. I encourage you to put yourself out there. I have purposely set some boundaries in my schedule and said no to some things in my schedule so I can meet with people and talk about things like this. And I have had the opportunity to counsel so many guys who have said, I've thought about ending it all. I've been at this point. And just to say, I've been there, I hear you, I know that. I mean, it just it brings, brings you closer with each other and it gives people just a chance to say, okay, I'm not alone. We've set up everything we can here to help you. We have literally... It's free. Stephen ministers who will literally just sit down there and just listen to everything you have to say and just be there to encourage you. It's confidential and just pray with you. If that's something you want, Jeremy at FBC Ireland, send me an email, call us tomorrow, talk to somebody. What's amazing too is other ministries are known as, noticing this as well. I just found out that our MOPS ministry in two weeks from now is going to have a, a thing where they're going to talk about all the different places you can go for help, for counseling, to deal with these very same issues. And even our ladies' ministry on October 3rd, they're bringing in somebody to sit down and talk about stress, worry, anxiety. You're not the only one. And we want to help. We want to be there for you. Put yourself out there. Be vulnerable, okay? It's going to hurt. I'm not going to promise you. I'm going to let you down, all right? You may meet with me, and I may not contact you and, or whatever, and you're going to think, what's wrong with that guy? Well, because I'm struggling too, all right? We all mess up, but put yourself out there. Be vulnerable, because if you don't, it's going to get so locked. I want to finish real quickly with a story I heard from another pastor who was preaching on the same message, uh, Ben Stewart. And he talked about his hero of the faith, which is Jeff Strucker. Uh, Jeff Strucker was an Army Ranger and well-known for what he did during um, situations in Somalia 
uh, in Mogadishu. And you may have known this from the movie Black Hawk Down, if you've seen that. I had never seen it, so I decided to watch it um, yesterday. It's really great for anxiety. Um, but um, <laughs> back, in, back in October of 1992, uh, what happened was this Somali was just overtaken by warlords, one in particular, Muhammad Farah Adid. And what they were doing is they were keeping the people from getting food. There was a famine that killed over 300,000 people. I mean, just terrible. And so the UN was trying to bring in food, America, and, and they were stopping this. And I mean, just the whole city, too, was just armed with, you know, all kinds of military equipment. A very scary situation. But there was pressure to go in and get Adid, or at least get some of his top lieutenants. And so the Rangers and the Delta Force had set up a mission to go in there and to try to capture Adid in the middle of Mogadishu. And as they're doing that, as they're dropping out Rangers from the helicopters, um, Todd Blackburn was one of the rangers. He fell headfirst out of the helicopter, and the whole mission changed at that point. And it became trying to rescue him. One of the people who was called upon to rescue him was Jeff Strucker, who drove the, drove the Humvee into the city. And they loaded up Blackburn in the back, and Jeff and his Humvee had to drive very slowly, 15 to 20 miles an hour, not to hit all the bumps in the road, to get out of the city. And at that point, the city had just begun to erupted. They were getting fired out with AK-47s, uh, RPGs. I mean, everything was just coming their way. The gunner that he had on the back of the Humvee got shot and killed and was inside the Humvee with him, just red everywhere. And so they made it all the way through, three miles out of the city into the base. And he said when he got back to the base, he just said, okay, thank God you got me through it. Thank you, Jesus. He was a believer. And he said, Jesus, thank you so much for getting me through that. Wow. Oh, you know, thank God it's going to be okay. And then they said, Jeff, you need to get back out there. There's more people still trapped in the city. And he was like, I, I can't. There's no way I can go back in there. You, the, the military force they have in there, is, it, the whole city is erupted. And he said, you got to go back in there. And then one of, somebody else counseled him and said, you're going to take some guys with you from the base. You need to go and clean out all the red out of your Humvee. So they're not terrified as you go in there. So Strucker went in there and he started to wash all the blood out of the Humvee. And he's just... I mean, he's just frantic, starting to go into a panic. He's starting to lock up. He doesn't want to go back in there. He's sure he's going to die that day. And everybody he takes with him, like, this is just, you know, a suicide mission in a, sen a, mission in a sense. And he said, this is crazy. So as he started to wash the blood off the Humvee, he just, all he could do, all he could think about was just praying. And he said, okay, God, right now I'm in big trouble. And I need your help because I'm certain I'm going to die tonight. But then he said, the Lord brought something to his mind. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he had so much stress upon him because he knew he was going to the cross. And the Bible says that Jesus was literally sweating drops of blood, right? And what does Jesus cry out to God? Not your will, or not my will, but your will be done, God, right? Not my will, but your will. And so that's what Jeff said to God right there. All right, God, not your will, or not my will, but your will, God. And, and he thought, man, if Jesus could walk right into the enemy right into the hands of the enemy, death itself, to save us, I can go and do this. He said, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to return home to my family in Georgia or if I'm going to die, but he said, no matter what, I'm going to be with Jesus. Which reminds me of what Paul says earlier in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he said at that moment, at that immediate moment, he felt the presence of God, and he no longer had that fear, that if it was the end that day, it was the end that day, and that's okay, because he remembered that one of the things an army ranger is, you never leave a fellow comrade behind to fall into the hands of the enemy. So he was going to go right back into the enemy to help save his friends. 
And they were able to drive back in that city. He said he can even remember an RPG actually bounced off the window of the Humvee. They were literally within 10 to 20 feet of people shooting AK-47s at them. Nobody within their Humvee got hurt. Of course, we didn't lose 18 American soldiers um, that day in that particular incident. But how God was able to use that to bring them out. And then how God took Jeff and changed his heart and changed the way he's thinking. He says that he used to think that one of the ways that you could change the world was through military force, through government policies, whatever. But then he realized that day, no, it's Jesus. And he actually changed his entire direction of life. He became a chaplain for the Army Rangers. And now he goes around sharing the gospel with others and telling his story. Now, in perspective, what we struggle with is nothing compared to that. But we are in a spiritual warfare every day. And an enemy wants to attack us. Just by being a Christian alone, you have a target on your back. And you are promised trouble. But God is so good. No matter what happens, he's got it all under control. All that he asked me to do is just to be still and know that he's God, to cast it all over to him every day. And he will give me a peace that goes beyond all understanding. Maybe you're here today and you've never started that relationship with Jesus. You've never gone down that everlasting path. You've never called and cried out to Jesus and asked him to come in your life and to save you and become one of his children. If you do that, he promises, he promises you an eternity beyond this life. That's the hope that we have. That's what keeps us going. That if we're all in today, I'll be okay. And if it's going to take another 50 years of this mess, I'm okay too, because I'm with Jesus. He wants you to have that same kind of peace in your life. I want you to know today too, I'm here to talk. If you need to come down and talk, the altar's open. If you want to come and pray, I do encourage you to please, please reach out to us if you need to talk at all. We want to be here for you. That's what we do. You know, I didn't sign up to be a programmer. I don't mind running programs. I signed up to be a pastor. And we want to be a pastor to you. So please, you know, talk to us. Open up your heart so let us know what's going on. We have people here that can help you. So right now what I'm going to ask you to do is just stand up. And I'm going to pray with you. And as Adam comes forward to lead us in music, if you'd like to come down to the front, we're open. Let me pray. Lord, I'm just so thankful for your word, God, for what it does, for how it changes lives. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving me alone. That even when I got down to the darkest place, you were still there and your light still signed so bright, God, and that you had a rope there just dangling, waiting on me. And it was there the whole time. All I had to do was reach up. Right now, there's many of us in this room that we just need to reach up to you, God, just to reach up and say, God, take us by the hand and pulls us out of this. Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters in this room who might be too embarrassed to admit or those who even will admit, God, that they're struggling. You know our struggles. You tell us in, in Matthew 11 that all who are weary, all who are burdened, to come and bring it to you and they will find rest. So we want to bring it to you today, God. Jesus, thank you for being there for us. I pray if anybody needs to come down here, Father, you just bring them down and we just give up this time to you. We love you so much.